Okay, Helga Hevra, thank you guys so much for joining. Yoel, it is incredible to see you. Long time no see. Amazing to see you. And to all the Hevra here, thank you so, so much for joining. Mamash, a privilege to be able to continue our journey together. Bisiyat Rishmain, Rabbi Nachman's masterpiece. Sicha Saran, we are going to try to make a little bit more headway in Torah Nun Aleph, which we began, I think, two times ago. This is the third um, this is the third session for Torah and Aleph. Just still letting people in over here. Um, Torah 51, which we described as being one of the essential lessons in Rabbi Nachman's Sefer Sicha Saran. So without any further ado, let's jump right into it. I'm going to share my screen. And we can begin to continue this incredible, incredible, essential lesson from the Tzaddik. Again, a tremendous privilege to learn these teachings with you. Thank you so much for being a part of it. And shout out to Yitzi also. Thank you so much for joining it. Okay, so let's jump in. Rabbi Nachman says, we'll go back to the beginning. We're not going to go into the depth of the diyukim we were making last time, but just by way of overview. Rabbi Nachman began by saying, this world and the ultimate level of our understanding isn't really worthwhile when held up to the true objective nature of what we should try to be connected to in this world. When held up to that light of what we referred to as the Koach HaMoshech, the true power that draws us to what essentially our source is, like the Ishbitzer says, everything is drawn to its source. Right? Everything naturally. Babies want to go to their mother. Everything is drawn to the source. And so too we and our neshamas on a very deep level are drawn to the source of Kedusha from which they derive. And we described another force called the Koach HaMachriach, the force that pushes us away, that prevents us from being naturally drawn into the gravity field of that holiness. And sometimes we get caught up in that and that seems to be pulling us even more intensely than what essentially should be overwhelming us with a feeling of being compelled to connect ourselves to Hashem in davening and learning in, in the way that we think, in the way that we act, in the way that we speak, to become elevated people, lifted up, refined, noble, dignified. And we get distracted. But Rabbi Nachman says when you look at those two things in a moment of clarity, the ha'olam hazeh aspect of the koach hamachriach enoi klum. Because it'll waste away like we described. It's not eternal. It's fleeting. Just like if you take a baseball or a football, in this case, and you throw it up outside of the field of gravity, it'll only stay in the air for a certain amount of time. The amount of time that is going to be um, based on how much effort and force you put into that throw. But eventually gravity will take over because gravity is a force that doesn't end. Whereas the energy that we put into throwing the football, that is going to be limited. And so vis-a-vis the force of gravity, our throw is enoi klum. And that's what Ibn Ahmed means over here. Ha'olam hazeh enoi klum. When you define olam hazeh and the force of olam hazeh vis-a-vis the force of Kedusha as being like a person throwing a football vis-a-vis the force of gravity, it's ain't a klum. it's nothing. 
And that's exactly how it is with the Olamazeh. Everything that seeks to distract us looks pretty powerful. The football goes up with tremendous force, but it's, it's essentially Enoi Klum. It doesn't last. Olamazeh doesn't last. And that's what Rabbi Nachman said, reviewing now for the third time this line, but it's good to knock this in. It's, a, it's an important diuk. We need to allow ourselves to be drawn toward the true purpose for why we're in the world, which is our true source in Kedusha and Holiness. And a person shouldn't be overly consumed with whether or not he's going to manage to attain financial success in this world, which is a tremendous, tremendous taiva and a tremendous nisayon to many. And in certain cultures, many of which we come from, there's a feeling that this is how we define success. This is how we define success. The definition of success is how much money you have. That's just the definition of success in most Western cultures. Yoni, I cannot tell you what an incredible privilege and honor it is to see you. Wow. Mamish. Made my day. Thank you so much for joining. So this nikuda of, of money being the, being the um, standard for how we interpret success, right, or, 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 or how we look upon other people as having either achieved or not achieved success is financial in nature. Ibn Ahmed says, don't get caught up in that. Because when we define our life as being founded on the tachlis hanitzchi, the koach hamoshech, limshoch, al tachlis hanitzchi, that essential force of holy gravity that's always pulling upon us, and that's what we identify ourselves with, and vis-a-vis -vis that, the olam hazez enol klum, that's not, that's not my true nature. Again, the mashal, for those who just joined, it's like taking a, a football and throwing it up in the air and having that be considered forceful vis-a-vis -vis gravity, right? It's just enol klum, it's nothing. And the force of Kedusha is like the force of gravity. It doesn't end. It's there all the time. It'll bring us down no matter what, no matter how high we fly. Eventually, we're going to be brought back down. Olam hazez klum. It's only there to serve as a distraction, only there to prevent us in many cases. The trick is to see Olam hazez itself being part and parcel of the gravity, which we'll get to in a minute. But just to set it up as a stark contrast, oftentimes we experience it as being the preventative distraction that holds us back from being drawn naturally to what the Jewish soul is naturally drawn to, which is Torah and tefillah and, and acts of chesed and rachamanim bayshanim gomli chasadim, being dignified and noble and lifted up and caring about grand ideals and not getting caught up in stupidities and momentary concerns that are futile and petty. So Rabbi Nachman says, with such a consciousness, and again, you could only say the second line after you said the first line, right? Because Rabbi Nachman wants us to enter into a very high level of consciousness, very hard to live like this all the time. Maybe we're not even supposed to live like this all the time. That's what some people make the mistake of thinking, you know, that every single word you read in a Sefer needs to be applied 24-7 constantly with the same level of force. And it's not true. Human beings are extremely complex, extremely nuanced, Shalom HaMelech, the wisest of men, split all of our experiences into special times. Ace Lahov, the Ace snow. 
There are different times to utilize different strategies. What Rabbi Nachman is giving us in Nun Aleph is a bedrock foundational core consciousness that if we are lucky and privileged, we have it there and we can again from time to time tap into it to allow us to become refreshed and then to emerge living like a normal person again. <laughs> because if you only live in accordance with this, it's super out there. I mean, I'm sure there are people who can. But it's very, very, very difficult and can lead, as we're going to learn from Rabbi Nachman himself, and can lead to a certain degree of unhealth, right? If not balanced in a healthy way. So, for example, if a person reads this and says, So a person quits his job, stops doing any ishtadlos. It's like the doctor sicha that we learned in Nun, if you remember. It's the same sort of thing. It needs balance and it needs the understanding of what Rabbi Nachman intended to do in this particular sicha for whom and when, right? It's not to be taken and just run with it. That's it. Don't care about money at all. It's impossible. We're people who live in a society where things need to be acquired as they always have been throughout our history and we need to put food on the table and we need to send our kids to schools and we need to have Shabbos guests and we need to you know, be able to buy our wives jewelry and we able, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We need money for all these wonderful things, right? These are, these are necessities, especially the jewelry part, right? These are necessities. These are important things for life. And Rabbi Nachman doesn't intend for us to go to the extreme of saying mamish He's not talking on a day-to-day -day level, minute-to-minute, -minute, I don't care about money, I don't care about money, I don't need money, I'm not trying to get money. doesn't mean this. Rabbi Nachman is talking about the journey. Rabbi Nachman is talking about the, the foundational perspective on what Olam Hazet is. And Rabbi Nachman equips us with you know, he packs us with a bag, you know, Tzayda Lederech, before you go on a big, big trip. Nun Aleph is Rebbe Nachman packing this bag for us. And so from that standpoint, the Rebbe is telling us the Ein Lehistakel, meaning to say on the long ball game, on this journey of life, let this not be an obsession. Let this not be a make it or break it with regard to how I perceive myself to either having achieved something of value or not having achieved something of value. Why? Go back to the first sentence. Because And so don't get caught up in the standards of success that are rooted in the koach hamachriach, that football being thrown up into the air, as opposed to the koach hamoshech, the gravity of Kedusha, that we should ideally be aligned with. That's, in my humble opinion, is what Ibn Nachman is doing over here. So Ibn Nachman says, again, big picture thinking, this is not my whole thing. It's just not. It's not my whole thing. And if I don't achieve the financial success that I was envisioning, my life doesn't crumble into bits in front of my eyes, and that's it, and I'm over because it's not an essential consideration. And how many of Rabbi Nachman's stories are of paupers who have nothing, but have much more than people who think that they have everything begashmias. Rabbi Nachman's whole message is that happiness and fulfillment and true objective success has nothing to do with olam hazedika considerations. And it goes for physical health as well as it goes for financial success. That's not what we value. That's not what we value. So here Ibn Ahmed spells it out. It's a little bit strong. Again, I told you, Nun Aleph is intense. It's, it's really intense. So we have to go slow and we have to appreciate the tone with which these words are being given over.
Because Rabbi Nachman says, you know, I get this feeling also that like, Sichon and Alf, I don't know historically exactly when it was said in Rabbi Nachman's life. We already said it was given over Shavuos night. So we know the, the general, more, or, or rather more specific setting, is that they're literally sitting Shavuos night, like Rabbi Nachman is telling them, the foundation for the Torah are th- is this set of perspectives, right? That, that we know. But I don't know if this was the last year of Rabbi Nachman's life, the last years of Rabbi Nachman's life, but I always learned Sichon and Alf as like Rabbi Nachman's last will and testament. The truth is that Rabbi Nachman's last will and testament is Lekut Tanyana Ches. The eighth lesson in the second volume of Lekut is actually Rabbi Nachman's last will and testament because it's the last lesson that he ever gave in the final Rosh Hashanah of his life. And of course, Rosh Hashanah was his whole thing. And he was Nifter about two weeks later on Chalamit Sukkot, of course. But I always read this as mamish like, like an old wise grandfather who loves you to pieces and wants nothing more with no ulterior motive than to give over to you everything of value that he's learned along the journey. Rabbi Nachman never made it to being a grandfather. Rabbi Nachman never made it to being old, at least in an Olam Hazes sense. Rabbi Nachman was the Zakin de Kedusha. Zakin is Zekkane Chachma. Rabbi Nachman had wisdom in greater measure perhaps than most grandfathers we know, or maybe any. And I perceive this as being Rabbi Nachman's final will and testament, even though it's smack in the middle of Sicha Saran, but it's as if he's giving over, uh, again, a very holistic vision on life. You know, I, I don't know that there was ever a grandfather or grandmother for that matter, who in a setting like this, in this last moment or moments, began to give over particular details in terms of, you know, things that aren't connected to a much bigger picture, like, you know, started addressing a particular business deal. I really think you should do that. It, oh, they're about to leave the world in five minutes. They're, they're, not, they're not talking about, uh, uh, you know, life hacks, like, you know, how to keep your milk fresh if, you know, if your fridge breaks. Like, they're not, they're not speaking like this. They're speaking about life with a capital L. And this is Sichas Ranun Aleph. It's, it's not like the other Sichas. The other sikhs address particular areas on Avodah Hashem. Sikhan and Aleph is, is mamish life. So that's how I, I, I think we should be reading this. So Rabbi Nachman again says, on this journey that you'll take, ain lehistakalim yilei moisim lav. Ki kach hu kach yamav bishave. Because it makes no difference. It makes no difference. Whether you do have the money that you think you need or want, or think you want, or whether you don't. Regardless, time will pass you by. And unless you're connected to the Meshicha of the Tachlis Hanitzchi, then it makes no sense how you spend your time, either with your, your lots of money or without it. It'll make no difference. Because at the end of the day, time will pass equally. And time passes for the person with an abundance of wealth the same way that it passes upon a person who doesn't have money at all. And unless those moments are transferred to the realm of the eternal by, connect, by using them to connect ourselves to the Tachlis HaNitzchi, then it really is of no eternal consequence how those moments are spent. That's very, very important. Extremely important because again, Rabbi Nachman here is helping us redefine what we conceive as success. And the Rebbe is telling us Shift your standards. Success means limshoch el tachlis hanitzchi. That's what success means in this world. Memela, money or not money, is not a consideration. 
Because whatever your circumstances are, and of course all of us should try, we learned this in, in, in the story of our lives, in chapter five, I believe in the beginning, uh, or chapter four, maybe chapter four, where the viceroy asks for a horse and a servant and money for expenses. It's a necessity for a healthy Avodah Hashem for most of us, particularly in this generation, because we don't need the headache of not knowing when the next you know, paycheck is coming to pay, to pay the bills to keep the electricity on. So we have to do our shtadlis in as much as we consider to be healthy and, and normal within balance, etc., etc. But Urban Nachman is telling us is that however that shtadlis works out or doesn't work out, still both of those scenarios are within the same category as not tachlis nitzchi. They're both in the same category of olam hazeh. And olam hazeh considerations, whether they be the considerations of, or the circumstances of a person ha as having attained fabulous wealth or not having attained it, fit into the same category of not tachlis hanitzchi and therefore share in a mutual lack of essential value that Rabbi Nachman didn't want us to focus on. Both on the side of having made it financially or on the side of not having made it. Says Rabbi Nachman, these are not essential considerations to your mission. Don't get caught up in it. On either side, don't get caught up in it. Because Rabbi Nachman says like this so powerfully, because this world has the capacity to fool us entirely legamri to fool us. Because we spoke about how oftentimes the koach hamachriach, that energy that's actually forcing us away from a much greater force field that we call gravity in the muscle, meaning to say in this case the person holding the football, throwing it up in the air, sometimes the dimion is well, that throw must be much more powerful than gravity because look, gravity's pulling us down and that football's going way up. And that's how we fall into the mistake. What's the mistake, Chavar? This is so deep. We, we went through this a few times. What's the mistake? The mistake is that we're looking in the moment and that's not how you measure value. The moment is never how you measure value. Why? Because the moment is bound to olamazeh, and olamazeh is, is not a place of objective value and, and objective valuable standards. We, we can't come to the understanding of true value based on olamazetika eyes, and that's where the moment is. So in order to measure value in an objective sense, the first thing you look at, how long does it last? That's how you measure value. Because in as much as something lasts in exact measure, that's how you know that it's connected to a realm beyond the realm of time where things do not last. Going back to our muscle of the football and gravity, it can look like a super powerful kick, you know, a field, I think it's called a field goal, right? A tremendous kick and it goes super high and super far and fast and incredibly, incredibly, I mean, you think it's very powerful. The rocket ship, right, also blasting off with enormous force. But the question is, come check back in another, well, in the case of the football, another two minutes. I don't know what was the longest field goal kick, you know, how long it stayed in the air. 30 seconds, a minute? Like, I know I can't think a minute. I have a couple of seconds probably, right? 
seven, eight, nine, ten seconds maybe. And then you'll see which one was more powerful. But don't be fooled. Because Rabbi Nachman says, This world fools us. Because it tricks a person into thinking that this person is gaining, gaining, gaining and amassing wealth, and the person may be. That's the key point here. Rabbi Nachman is not saying that the bank account is not going up, that the person is not making deals, that the person is not achieving success. You, he is. And we are. But if we hear this word, marviach, Rabbi Nachman means to read it in the olam habodika sense, not the olam hazedika sense. And so he says it'll appear to you like you're gaining and like your time is being well spent in an objective sense. Again, this is all without being able to elevate. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about how to, how to utilize our parnasa, et cetera, et cetera, and elevate it. Now we're not speaking about that. We're speaking about a person who in a purely hedonistic pursuit or the pursuit of quote unquote happiness as defined by the secular world is trying to amass you know, material things for the purpose of either impressing other people or achieving the success that's rooted in this worldliness. That's what we're speaking about now. So Rabbi Nachman says, it'll look like you're achieving, but you're not essentially achieving. Because in the end, what are you left with? In the end, what are you left with? Think of it. A person spends their entire life, kipshutai, some people from a young age, usually the entrepreneurs are out of high school by 10th grade, right? And they're the ones who make it in a way far, you know, greater, than, you know, usually playing video games today on, or some YouTube channel, than all the chaver who sat in Ivy League colleges for a, a thousand years, right? So from the time that they're young, working, because usually they're workaholics, the entire day, all day, every day, for decades upon decades upon decades to do what? To achieve success. And then guess what happens? After like a short period of time, commensurate to the amount of time that they invested into achieving this success of being able to actually enjoy on whatever level the success that they've attained, they leave the realm. And this is, again, it's intense and it's powerful and it's, but in the consciousness of Sikhan and Aleph, bear with me, they leave the realm in which those things have any value at all. Listen to this because it's very deep. In this sense, Olam Hazeh was the football throw and the gravity is Olam Haba. We're being pulled toward Olam Haba. I hate to say it, we're dying a little bit every moment. Hopefully the more we realize that, the more we're living every moment. That's the point. But Chazal say, that's, that's a real thing to think about that. We're not going to be around forever. I hope we all live long and happy till 120 and possibly forever. Hashem should just get rid of the concept of death. We should only hear good news, Be'ezer Hashem. But in the current norm, I will not be around forever. This goof, this body, will eventually be under the ground in a grave. The gravity, in terms of the eternal force that we cannot get away from, I don't know any human being that did, outside of Yaakov Abinu and arguably the Lubavitch Rebbe, that's a joke, right? So I don't know any human being that escaped it. Well, for me it's a joke, for some people it's very serious. But I don't know anybody who escaped it, 
We're being drawn toward that. That's the gravity. How foolish then to invest all of our focus on the football throw. How ridiculously foolish. To invest every single moment of our waking day and our waking hours thinking and considering and, and having talks and conversations and checking stocks and obsessing, obsessing over a realm that we were never destined to remain in. Is there a greater shtus than this? Is there a greater waste than this? Because again, if we had the choice to spend the short period of time that we have, and it is a short period of time, in this physical world, getting completely caught up and wrapped up within the nature of the physical world, which we're going to leave. And this, by the way, goes hand in hand with what we've been speaking about technological, right? Remember technological, you know, uh, ingenuity and, and inventions and obsessing over studying this world as if it was the true reality, right? Valuable as that could be, again, in a balanced way. That was last week's sheer. But to either spend all of our time focusing on this realm or to utilize the opportunity afforded to us in, in life, in this consciousness, in, in, in the ability to live in this world in a completely different way for the purpose of the next world, to already submit ourselves to the flow of gravity that's pulling us whether we like it or not. What makes more sense? What's more logical? You know, we always speak about that muscle of the SimCity. Remember that, that computer game, the SimCity game, where someone just goes ahead and, and, and is dropped into this uh, theme park, right? Remember? And, and he just goes right ahead to the Ferris wheel without like thinking, like, wait a second. There's no existential philosophy in a SimCity character's head. It's like, there's no, wait a second. Who put me here? What is this place? No, you dropped in, you're, you're born into an amusement park and you make a beeline toward the nearest roller coaster without any thought. And that's how most human beings are. Without a thought, even for a moment of like, wait a second, like, where am I? What is this? Why am I here? Who put me here? It's an obsession with this theme park to the complete and utter risk of obsessing over the theme park to the point that we forget why we were sent to the theme park for a short period of time. And we forget the realm to which we are not just one day going to go, but toward which we are actively walking right now. Like Rabbi Nachman said, wherever I walk, I walk to Eretz Yisrael. Could also say, wherever I walk, I'm walking to my grave. I know that sounds very morbid, and we should, again, this is for a special kind of sikhs nun consciousness. Can't live like this all the time. It'll kill you. Well, it'll, it'll, right? It, it won't be healthy. But at least for this moment, in this limud, that's a true statement. Like, that gravity is pulling us. Life is precious, chevra. So precious. Life is so valuable. Every moment is such an opportunity. Do you know what you can do in a moment? And do you know how the quality of time relies directly on how you utilize that time? I don't want to make anybody feel bad, Chas 
And the point over here and what I'm going to say next is chas v'shalom in no way supposed to make anyone feel bad about what they did or didn't do or their personal level. And in no way is this giving off the impression chas v'shalom. I hope that I'm looking down on anybody who is not holding on the level that I'm about to describe, but I do feel it is a level and I do feel it is an ideal and I do feel it is something that we should be thinking about and striving toward. Yesterday was the Super Bowl for some who may live under Iraq. Yesterday was the Super Bowl and it's an extraordinarily complex conversation from a religious standpoint with a lot of different facets. But I just wanna speak about one program that exists here in Yerushalayim where it is a different conversation. Because over here you have Bahrim, not you know American working people who need a break, right? One second, I gotta cancel this. And they're gonna be staying up the whole night because it's right. It's the middle of the night over here, and that outside. Oh my gosh, you see what they do to you over here? Look at this, unbelievable. So it's like the Sahara, you know, just keeps on coming back. So they so they keep on they keep on. Um, Right, so these chevr, they're up the whole night. And oftentimes, it doesn't lead to them making shachars the next morning, quite the contrary. There's a lot of drinking. There are places where they're hanging out where they shouldn't be or wouldn't ordinarily be, etc., 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 etc. A whole host of different kinds of related issues that come up with this kind of experience for a bacher who's supposed to be in Israel to focus on spiritual growth and try to be removed a little bit from some of the secular or American cultural values that they're trying to live in a bubble away from. And it can be a struggle. There's a yeshiva over here called a recenter's yeshiva, which I have nothing to do with. So I'm not like, a, it's not like a bias. Like I don't work for them. I never went to the yeshiva. But just as an objective observer, they realized that their Bahram were going to be watching the Super Bowl. And so they instituted something called Super Seder. Some of you may have heard of it. And basically what they do is they don't ignore the fact that there is a Super Bowl, which some yeshivas do for guys who are not going to be interested in watching it at all, or create the setting within the yeshiva for the guys to watch the Super Bowl because they're going to be watching it anyway, no matter what was going on. And rather than do it in yeshiva than out, both of which do happen in different kinds of yeshivas, rather they do something different, knowing their demographic. Again, their guy's madriga, right? Their guy's level or background. And they turn that night into an all-nighter, much like it would have been, but it's an all-night of Lehman with Chavrusas, beginning in the beginning, great refreshments, not over, you know, like over opulent refreshments. And it ends at the Kotel in the morning with Vasikin, spirited dancing. And then they can go and take a nap. And I'm sure the yeshiva schedule continues as regular in the afternoon. I'm using this as a muscle. Without getting into the whole thing, Super Bowl, we can speak privately about that. Or you can look at my Facebook post from yesterday. But... I, I just want to make one point here. It's the same four hours, right? It's the same four hours of time. Think of the difference. Whether it's right, whether it's wrong, whether it's usr, whether it's completely mutter, whether it's l'chatchila, whether it's b'di'evet, etc., 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 all of which arguments can be made for and I'm sure are made for. Just think of the time aspect. 
On the one hand, you have a person sitting on a couch, sedentary, not moving, not really using the brain much, unless they're a, a, a real football fan, which I'm not sure how many of the people in the firm community watching the football, watching the Super Bowl are doing so because of their real interest in, in football and not just like, you know, it's a party and it's something that we do and it's Super Bowl Sunday. You know, certainly the women who are involved, I don't think are sitting there exactly marking down. I think they're gonna do this play. Did you see that? They don't get it. And they're not, they're not that's not why they're watching it, right? But. Most people, are, it's, not, it's not really a cerebral activity. I don't know that the values necessarily communicated in a bunch of adults beating each other up essentially on screen. Again, for a sport and it's all in good spirit and fun is necessarily a Torah value. I, I certainly feel that some of the advertisements, for sure the halftime show, don't communicate the values you know, that we're trying to instill in ourselves and in our children. A lot of drinking oftentimes goes on, like I said, in the case of people watching in Eretz Yisrael, it ends up with a hangover the next morning, if you're lucky, early afternoon when you wake up at 1 or 2 p.m. in the morning after having been up the whole night, completely feeling miserable, not even caring anymore who won or lost because it never really mattered, and going on with your life not having gained a thing in that four-hour period of time. Hold that image, not looking down on anyone, hold that image in contrast with the fine Bachrim from Rabbi Center's yeshiva, who will remember the experience of this night of spiritual growth, elevation, glory. And there's no other word for it. Each person on their level, what they can do, and I don't say it has to be learning, only learning. They do learning. Could be saying Tehillim. It could be drawing a a portrait of anything that you like if your thing is art because that's more constructive and productive and far easier to bring God into a creative process than a completely passive entertainment uh, uh, experience. Whatever it is that they're doing. But that night, especially because it's built on a foundation of his gabras, that I overcame. Yeah, I wanted to watch the Super Bowl. All of my friends were watching it. Everyone on WhatsApp is gonna be you know, posting to their statuses and they're gonna be speaking about things that I don't even know about. And that hurts and that's a sacrifice. But I'm a human being and I'm able to make decisions, even difficult decisions. I am in control. Adam is shoymer la'atzma, the Gemara Baba Kama says. I'm in control of myself. And I can do things that are difficult and I don't have to go along with everything everyone says all of the time. And this is what I do feel just parenthetically for people who do watch the Super Bowl every year. Maybe once every three, four years, just don't do it. Not because, again, there might be anything wrong with it. Maybe you're not of that persuasion and that's fine. But just not even on a religious level, just show that you're not a slave to the culture around you. I would, I would, by the way, suggest this even to secular Americans, like even, even non-Jews. The herd mentality of everyone's doing it, gotta do it. Where's your, where's your courage? Where's your countercultural backbone? Where's your, where's your, you know, your rebellion? Like, you don't have to. No, you don't have to. You'll be fine. You don't have to. But in terms of the time, and this is the point I'm trying to get across, time is so valuable and it's the same three hours, but nobody in their right mind, even if they felt that watching the Super Bowl was a l'chatrila, I hope no one in the right mind would say that it's the same. It's not the same. Not in terms of the impact that it has on the neshama. Not in terms of the impact that it has on the person. Not in terms of the impact that a night like that is going to have on a person's future relationship, in the case of these Bachrim with their wives, 
and their values that they're going to instill within their homes and within their children. It's not the same in terms of the way in which that night is going to shift their perspective on what is truly valuable, glorified, dignity-oriented in this world. It's not the same in terms of the way in which instead of drawing a person further into the olam hazeh koach hamachriach, it allows a person to break free from that chain and to open his or her heart to the tachlis hanitzli and to say, that night I didn't waste. That night I didn't waste. And by the way, again, I want to make this clear. I, this is not supposed to be a Super Bowl schmooze. It was already. And, and anyway, who cares about what I say? I, I'm just essentially speaking to myself, but I think it's important. It's important to, to speak this thing out. I don't say that a person doesn't need an outlet. This is not about an outlet. I have plenty of outlets. Someone reached out to me today. He said, I get it. He said, I agree with you. I don't think that it's... It's a right, you know, to be, to be watching the Super Bowl. I, 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 he said, I was never able to do it with a clear conscience. I never felt like that was what a yid should be doing. Just didn't feel that way. But he said, what should I do for my outlet? I love sports. What should I do? So I told him, first of all, it was never about, I never said anything about sports. It's not, it's not what I'm talking about here. But I said, outside of sports, think about how many other things. If a person doesn't need an outlet, why do people think that they necessarily always need an outlet? what's considered an outlet. People need to be entertained, relaxed. Maybe you just need a shift in behavior. Like maybe, maybe it doesn't need to be like vegging out over Netflix for seven hours in a row. Maybe it needs to be a jog through the park. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, relaxing to be able to give you what you need in terms of rejuvenation. That's a complete farce. It's not true. So I told the person anyway, I said, think about how many constructive things you could be doing for your relaxation. I said, what about playing sports? Like, actually, actually getting out and playing sports, I'm all for that. I'm in the gym three times a week for a long time now because that's my, one of my outlets. That's fine. It's productive. Keeps your body healthy, does something. If a person has talents for music or art, work on those ha hobbies. Develop them if that's your talent. Develop them. Devote time to developing them. Politics. I am far more favorable toward, even though American politics is a swamp on many levels, right? But, I, but, but politics is what I, what I used to refer to as the smart man's sports, because that's really what it is. It's, it's the same like sports. It's got the same, uh, you know, tension, drama. I mean, there's nothing more dramatic than politics, far more than sports, I think, right? But the drama of people's lives and prestige and people going up and people going down, but you're forced to think about ideas, like ideas, things that matter, things that are going to impact the world. Not that we think that politicians run the world. We know Hashem runs the world, but at least we're able to use our brains in a substantive way. Do you know that all politics, get me back to what I'm talking about, is founded in philosophy? All of it. I have a book in my bathroom. It's called Political Philosophy. <laughs> and I read it in the bathroom, right? That's where it belongs. But it's fascinating to see how so many of the trends in modern day politics are rooted in ways of thinking. Most of them shtus. I spend most of the time laughing at these fools, right? But, 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 it, but it makes you think. And it develops your mind. And it makes you think about existential questions, politics. Like I said, exercise, sports, working out, 
YouTube videos of this is your thing that are informative, in addition to being entertaining. There are plenty of channels that have good, solid, kosher, entertaining and, and wonderful content that can help you develop your mode of thinking, whether it's in science, if that, again, if that's your thing, or in the realm of uh, so, many different, so many different things. But the point is there are ample outlets, there are ample ways of relaxing and spending your time. Not that any of that was what we were speaking about in the context of the Super Bowl, which is something completely different. I don't see that as a sports event. I see that as the biggest TV event of the year, which is much more why people watch it than because it's a football game. Nobody seems to care about the World Series, for example, right? So this is the point that we're getting across, I hope, that time is valuable. In addition to the fact that I'm an extremist, fair enough. But time is valuable, right? And that this is the consciousness in Sichonun Aleph, Rabbi Nachman wants us to develop. Ki oilam azeh back inside mata yisona ligamri. Shemara ela adam ki iluhu marviach behol pam. Hu basoyv eine klum. But in the end, he's not left with anything of objective value. And he says, listen to this, kasher nir bechush. You see this, he says, with, with our own senses, with our own eyes. He says there are people who spend all their time, you especially see this in the stock market, which is all the time fluctuating, day trading, all of that is, is up and down, up and down, up and down. I think you could expect, you know, one out of every three trades to, to, to go down. It's probably more than that. And that's part of the game. It's just a complete, complete, obviously there are chachmas, but it's, it's constantly fluctuating. So in such a thing, especially today when markets are so volatile, again, and markets affect everything, and everything affects markets, you could be left with nothing. After a whole lifetime of working, you do see this. I was listening to a podcast from Yantav Glazer, and nobody should know from such a thing. You know, I'm sure some of the ever heard of Rabbi Yantav Glazer, right? See, so he has a whole fascinating story, Mamash out of a movie, uh, the way he grew up uber wealthy, in California on a sprawling estate, I think that was then bought by an actor, Dustin Hoffman, like an incredible, incredible, incredible level of, of, of opulence and grandeur. And that's how he grew up. And he had everything he was describing the way that he lived, unbelievable. And he tells that he, he like I, I, I was actually speaking to somebody else about this this morning. So he, he said that, um, that he was like the quintessential California surfer dude, like just, you know, he said, if, if, <laughs> he said that when he came to Eishat Torah, he, he had such an affinity for not wearing clothes because <laughs> this is the kind of culture that he, that he, what's it called? He said that after some time, they had to take him aside and say, could you at least wear a bathing suit? <laughs> like that, that's what we're holding, right? So that's Yantav Glazer. So he, he grew up in such a vibe that he had no interest in going to college, but his dad was, you know, a Hungarian, European you know, everything by the books and this is what you got to do. And, and, that, and that very much was the, you know, in the 60s, 70s, I don't know exactly when he grew up, somewhere around then, 70s probably, that, that was the tension between the older generation and the younger generation who were free-thinking hippies in many cases, uh, certainly out there in California, and the older, you know, establishment parents who were still very straight and narrow that the kids were trying to break away from. So this was very much the dynamic there. And the father wanted very much that he went to college. And so... Because Yantiv Glazer, back then, I, for, oh, I forgot what his name was, some secular name, um, was obsessed with surfing. 
he made a deal with his father that his father promised him that if he would go, he would buy his son, Yantiv Glazer, like an incredible, incredible all-wheel drive Jeep that he would need to drive the hills of California to go to the best serving spots and cross country where he was traveling. And he would send, I think, six kegs of beer to his dorm room every Sunday morning for the week. Six kegs. Okay, not six bottles. Six kegs of beer. This was the deal that he gave. He said it was the week of graduation. After, I don't know, two years or so going for a degree. A week before graduation. And his father called him up and said, we lost everything. Like that. Minute to minute. And so no Jeep was forthcoming. <laughs> and he did not get his end of the deal. It was a whole story how that itself helped him get to Asia. Crazy stuff. Man, really highly advised. Quality time spent. Talk about time. Listening to this remarkable story. But it, they lost everything. Rahman al-Islam, that does ha you do hear stories like that. So Rabbi Nachman says a person can go and you make chashboinus and you put in time and effort and energy and you have a plan and we have plans. Rabbi Nachman says most people, I don't know most people, but a lot of people. At the end of the day or the end of the week or the end of the month or the end, unfortunately, of a great period of many decades, they make a cheshbin and ain't nishar biyadam klum. They don't know what happened here. They don't know how this could have happened where a Bernie Madoff, right? We're not too far away from that to remember what that did to the firm community, right? And everybody, don't put your eggs in one basket and this and that and the other thing. Bottom line is when the koach hamachriach is that strong and the returns are that good, You'd be stupid not to, not to put all your eggs in, in that basket, right? And Jews are smart. And Jews did put all their eggs in that basket. Many organizations, many nonprofits put all their funds in that basket. And they were devastated from one minute to the, one minute to the next. Devastated. And he says, okay, even if a person does really amass money and he's 99 and a half years old and at the end he still has, you know, bank accounts filled for the next generation and the generation after that. So your money will stay there, but you're going to be taken away from it. That's just the facts. Those are the facts of life. And here he says this famous line, he says, I'm going to give you a general rule. The following two things do not stay together. People and money, these two things don't stay together. They might hang out together for a little while, but they do not stay together with a capital S eternally. They do not stay together. Either the money is going to be taken away from us, or eventually we're going to be taken away from the money. But these two things don't go together. The Pasuk says, we do not, we don't take it with us. 
You never found one individual throughout human history who stayed with his money forever and ever and ever. Never happened. Like we said before. And another point. Where is all the money? Ever think about that? Where is all the money? Where is all the money that's been printed? Where is all the value? Obviously, inflation and different markets change and money gets devalued as money is printed, etc., etc. But ultimately, all that value that was supposed to go from generation to generation to generation by people who worked their tail off so that their kids would have a great life and that their kids and their, their kids, we don't find it in families. It goes back all the way, all the way, all the way up generations of people who had money. It's constantly an ebb and a flow, constantly. And sometimes you leave over a tremendous, not you, but sometimes, I mean, I bless you that you should be able to, but sometimes people leave over tremendous erusas for their children and their children squander it. They're not around anymore to make sure that the money's being spent properly. It is completely squandered. And so all of the effort that they put in was essentially, if you think about it, and it's terrible to put it in these terms, but that's what happens, to make their child's life miserable. In the name of doing the opposite, it could happen. It could happen, such a thing. Where is it? All the governments are printing currency. Everybody has value, an increasing number of it. Companies make awesome amounts of money. Specifically now, in today's consumer-driven society and a free market capitalistic society, which has wonderful, wonderful aspects, get into politics, can learn all about this kind of stuff, right? But on the other hand, has led to an incredible, in, incredible imbalance, right? In terms of those who, they say the rich get richer and the poor are having kids, right? That's how it goes. And so, and so over here you have tremendous, tremendous, tremendous storage of, of money, but can we track that throughout the generations? Where does it go? Where is all that money? Where is all the value that people thought they had cemented into their family chain? History has a way of making a lot of that money disappear one way or another somewhere down the line. It's nothing. Now, with the last 10 minutes, let's try to move back from the brink of this extreme toward a center point while still remaining anchored in the essential consciousness that we need at the bedrock of our identity as a center of mass to keep us anchored while at the same time living as normal people. And that balance is, Rabbi Nachman is not saying, Mamas treat this like Sichonun, it's the same thing, Balance. Rabbi Nachman is not saying that one need not invest any of his time to earning a respectable, dignified, emuna-oriented parnasa. Not saying that. Rabbi Nachman is not saying that money is evil and that a person should try the best that they can to make as little money as they can just to keep their family afloat and nothing more. Not saying that. Rabbi Nachman is not saying that there's no value in trying to work hard so that our children have a better chance at success, which, by the way, 
almost never means giving them the Yerusha. It ordinarily means being able to send them to the best schools, right? Or being able to make sure that their education is such that they can succeed on their own, etc., etc. Rabbi Nachman is not saying that there's no value in doing that. And Rabbi Nachman is not saying that it is impossible to enjoy the success that a Kaddish Baruch Hu has gifted some of us with. And Be'ez HaShem will gift all of us with. I think that's a bracha. Why not? Success in Gashmias. That there's no way of engaging with that in a way of Kedusha and Tara. Rabbi Nachman is saying none of these things. On the contrary, he would probably agree to the opposite of all of those things based on other teachings from the tzaddik about Maso Matan and what kind of a voida that is, look in Sichon and look in Tarn and Dalit in Lukutimran and many places Rabbi Nachman speaks about this. Maso Matan is, is, a, is, a, is an avoida. It comes with its risks, of course, and this is the vulnerability of falling into a mistaken consciousness where we start obsessing over it and devote our entire lives to it. That's not what we want. But what Rabbi Nachman is doing is anchoring us in an essential clarity that sees the success of financial achievement as completely and entirely void, essentially, when held up to the true capital A achievement of what Yiddishkeit is supposed to do for us. That Rabbi Nachman is doing. That Rabbi Nachman is doing. And the tzaddik says, you need to engage in masu matabemuna. All of us do. That's the first question we're asked. And I saw in one, of, one of the sfarim, I can't remember from who, that the stress is not on be'emuna. A little radical. The stress is on masu matabemuna, whatever the, whatever the lashon is. Did you work? That's the question. Not did you work with, with faith. Did you work? Meaning to say, did you go ahead and try the best that you can to fulfill all the mitzvahs associated with working? Mamish mitzvahs. And then, of course, it needs to be Be'emunah. Of course. Of course. Otherwise, that's what Rabbi Nachman saying. If it's not with Emunah, either whether that means faithfulness, meaning to say that you're, you're working honestly to work to make an honest living, or with Emunah of knowing that, Mamish, this is not the essence of my life, and that the essence of my life is, 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 is a Kaddish Baruch and Yichu Kuch and trying to connect with Him, and trying to become elevated, and trying to master myself, right? And try, et cetera, et cetera. So of course it's got to be with Hamunab, but did you work? You earn an honest living, did you work? That's the first question we're asked. So the Tzaddik is saying, engage in that. But don't allow that to confuse you with regard to what this world is all about. And of course, like one of the Tzaddikim said, Olam Hazeh is like walking, excuse me, is like walking on the edge of a knife blade with hell on one side and hell on the other side. That's what Olam Hazah is like. It's precarious. Now, Rabbi Nachman's advice would be, don't be afraid. You can do it. Start to dance and you'll find that you have room to dance. Don't wait for there to be room. Dance and then you'll say that there's room. Don't be afraid. Be confident, but be vigilant. Be confident, but be vigilant. 
Rabbi Nachman means to build a foundation for us so powerful that we no longer have what to fear about engaging in the world of Masumata, Bemuna. Because we're anchored in Sichon and Aleph. And we know that essentially, which is what Sichon and Aleph is, should be titled essentially, right? Meaning at the end of the end of the end of the end of the day, or at the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of every day, I know that money is klum. And that financial success is worthless. And that money doesn't matter. I Meaning that's the foundation. Good. Once you repeat that, and once you know that, now go to work. Now engage in the healthy behavior of trying to go ahead and earn a living. Many of you are at work right now, in the middle of a, of a work day. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend your lunch break with me, for many of you. You're, you're the shining warriors of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You are creating the dear B'tachtoinim that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted. Not like some of the Chavar tried to convince me yesterday that the people sitting watching the Super Bowl were accomplishing that. I'm not so convinced. But you, Chavar, doing something productive, conscious, your mom is the shining foot soldiers of Mashiach. There's nothing to talk about. Nothing to talk about. I am jealous of you. Mom is jealous. Mom is. And I, I don't say that lightly. I mean that. I have a Mishigasa in my head that I need to spend my time writing and doing things. But to, to go and, and mom is just involve ourselves in the world of Sechayra, in the world of Masu Matan, in the world of quote-unquote mundanity, and to remain connected in the way that you're remaining connected, Ashrechem, mom is Ashrechem. Nothing higher, nothing higher. But let's remain vigilant to the possibility of falling into the trap of the Olam Hazeh energy of Koyach HaMachriach. And let's remain constantly open with an open heart and open mind. No matter where our feet are, let our minds remain connected with that clarity to the essential lucidity and consciousness of Sichon and Aleph that should inform all of our perspectives on the Olam Hazeh that we need to engage with but also need to elevate. And the degree to which we can elevate, and what this will end, is the degree to which we remain ever focused and ever mindful of this essentially MS La'amitoi intense, truthful uh, perspective that we're trying to give over in the context of this year. So we did not get to go very far as far as I thought we would. We didn't get to see the sources. Bezer Hashem next time. Uh, we'll dive back in and we'll start from the Shari Kedusha from Chaim Vital and then we'll get into the next segment, B'siyat Rishmaya. I hope the Chavar enjoyed. I hope you forgive my rant. And Mamish, thank you, thank you so much for joining with me and for learning with me. It's just so special and I'm so grateful for it. So thank you all and uh, wishing you an amazing week. Mamish, an amazing, amazing week. Looking forward, Be'ezer Hashem, to the Parshish here, hopefully, on Thursday. Thank you, Chavra. Wishing you an amazing rest much. of your day. Thank you. All the best. Thank you, Hevra.